Hey guys, welcome back for episode number 16 of the Hustle Sanctuary. Today's guest is Gerard Recknitzer. Thank you for being here with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For sure, for sure. Uh, so Gerard's, uh, some of Gerard's highlights are he, he went to multiple finals tables in the World Series of Poker. He, he runs a really successful Airbnb business. Um, he also does regular property management and he's got a bunch more side hustles that he's killing it and we're going to get into today. Um, so why don't you take us back kind of briefly from, from the start, which is like you grew up in Beverly Hills and you went to Beverly Hills High, right? That's correct. I grew up um, in Beverly Hills on Beverly Drive, which is in the flats of Beverly Hills, uh, between Santa Monica and Sunset. Went to elementary school over here in junior high at uh, El Rodeo. And then uh, we went to, uh, I went to Beverly High. It was an interesting experience, I'm sure, growing up at Beverly Hills High School. Um, I did grow up with uh, some people that are in the highlights of the... uh, film industry did you watch a lot of people change when they before they got famous and like after they got famous well the big thing about growing up with celebrities or celebrities kids i want to say is mostly that when you're in junior high and high school it doesn't really matter who your father is with growing up with my friends and all of us it's like if you're a douche you're gonna get punked if you're a cool dude, you're going to get respected. And that's really what it boiled down to. Can you tell us about the percentage of, like, you know, actual cool people to douchebags? I mean, that's a hard question. I don't know the exact percentage, but I knew that I ran with a pretty cool crew that um, was respected. You came up with DJ AM, right? I did. I did. DJ AM. I used to carry DJ AM's <laughs> records to the clubs that he used to go to, which was uh, Las Palmas on Wednesday night, LAX. Um, wow. I mean, he DJed everywhere in Hollywood. And uh, I know him through my brother, Andre, and they were kicking it tight back in the day. And AM used to run with uh, some other kids that were like, I was the younger brother. I was always the tag along. So the kids that they used to run with were like, kind of role models for me, people that I kind of looked up to. Um, but AM was always a really cool dude and always, he, he always had, a lot of people don't know about AM is that he had like, the, I've seen the documentary that they showed in the uh, theater and, you know, they didn't really touch on his, how, how funny he was in the sense of, he always had a nickname for everybody. And the nickname that he came up with for me was he, he wouldn't, he called me G-Notes. And, Every time he saw me, he'd always point his finger and he always said, G-Notes, and he always smiled. And that's the one thing that I always remember about Am. He legit deserved all that acclaim though, right? Like he was just sick with it, right? He was yeah. ridiculous <laughs> at bringing it and making just people dance, controlled the whole, you know, club. And he was amazing at... um mixing rock with hip-hop. I mean, he first brought that to the scene. Like, that was dope. Not a lot of DJs were doing that. You got a super interesting story, I think, that would be um, would be interesting for the listeners to pick up on is, you know, you were really successful for a good while at playing poker. 
and, right. and, and hitting hitting the, the World Series finals tables. Tell us about the moment you sort of discovered poker. Right here in Beverly Hills, my dad used to have a home game once a week, and I used to it's a split level house, as you saw. And uh, downstairs is the den area, and we used to have a poker table set up. And uh, I used to sneak downstairs and watch my dad play poker with his friends. And they had a game every Wednesday night here. And then he taught me how to play poker, and I kind of fell in love with the game. And from there, it was really my father who taught me how to play poker. But we used to we used to gamble all the time here at my place and my other friends' houses. We used to play all kinds of games from you know AC AC Ducey in between the sheets to a game called baseball, where you uh, threes are wild and four you get an extra card down. Um, so I've always been you know into the whole gambling thing and cards i almost see you as a kid like it's like a bonding experience with your pops in a way does that make sense like because when i was young i just wanted to you know be tight with my pops and enjoy something that he enjoyed right absolutely i mean it was something that you know it was a hustle that he was on and he was making money at it and you know when my parents got divorced i kind of went under his wing and he brought me to the casino and that's how I learned the game. So definitely kept us bonded together. I think this is a good point to talk about you were you were winning all these tables, right? And at some point it turned, right? And it started to like not be cool anymore and not be fun anymore for you, right? Or was, was that slow, early? It was a slow, slow evolution of me, you know, realizing that gambling was taking up a lot of my time and I couldn't control my gambling urges from staying just on playing poker. If I stayed just on playing poker, I would have been a lot more successful. I might have still been playing to this day, but I loved the action. To me, the action wasn't about gambling. The action was the reward. And I liked to bet sports. It was convenient for me to sit at home and throw a couple thousand on a game and sit back and opposed to having to drive to the casino to get you know the game on. I got you. Um, and that was probably my biggest downfall was the sports betting in my po- in my gambling career because it's hard when you want to separate poker from other gambling. And I understand that people say that poker has a lot of skill involved, which is partly true. But at the same time, for me, if I do that, it, it jams my brain up. And it just – because I've tried to say, okay, I'm not going to play sports and I'm just going to stick to poker impossible it's impossible for me other people it's possible for like my father he never bet sports game in his life he doesn't play he doesn't he doesn't feel like he's going to give any casino any kind of money you know he always says oh you know what do you think this vegas is built on it's built on your money suckers suckers so let's get the timeline just okay just dialed up real quick so so you're at beverly hills high Mm -hmm. um and then you decide to split after your junior year right yeah Okay. I dropped out of high school. What was that decision like? Were your parents like in support of that? Well, I was a year older than everyone in my grade. Um, so they were uh, they were going through their own whole mess of things. And, you know, I was somebody who made up my mind and no one was going to tell me different. But th- So they gave you no shit because they knew like it – you were going to do what you want to do anyways, basically. I felt that at the time I was blaming the school district for not putting me in classes 
that potentially could get me to a college. So my excuse was, oh, I'm going to end up in City College no matter what I do at this point. Mm. So what's the even point of going? And I looked up like, you know, City College accepting high school dropouts. And they said that, you know, I could go. Mm. Without the diploma. Without the diploma, yeah. And that was pretty crafty, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was crafty. Yeah. But I ended up going back to uh, – well, I wanted to enroll in this private college that was uh, called uh, American Intercontinental University and study communications. And to get into that college, you had to have a high school diploma. So mm. they set me up with this place to basically take some kind of equivalency test. But it's not a GED. It's not a GED. It's actually – I went back and I went to take – eight-hour test at a library in the valley and ended up getting my high school diploma from Balboa High, but... You don't know anybody at Balboa High. <laughs> I don't know anybody <laughs> at Balboa High whatsoever. <laughs> they, give you like the, they give you like the yearbook with the fake signatures exactly. in it. <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, that's funny, man. You know, I was really enabled by my father because he would give me money to play poker, plus he would employ me. So, it was... A, I felt like I, I felt a little bit in a place where I was stuck and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know which way to who to turn to. So with my father's support, because you got to remember, my father is a self-made millionaire and came here like when he was younger, right? With nothing, with like classic I mean, story, were, two pennies I'm in the pocket a, type of thing. I'm a Jewish kid, Holocaust, you know, generation survivor. Mm. And my father was born in Austria in a DP camp and migrated to Israel and from Israel to Cleveland and from Cleveland to Los Angeles. You know, my parents met in Fairfax High, picked bottles, took bottles and picked flowers out of trash cans and painted them and sold them. And they met in art class. They were artists and they ended up making a successful dry and silk flower business, which was really popular in the 70s. And from that money, they parlayed it into real estate. And then we moved to Beverly Hills in 85. Wow. And bought this house that we're sitting in for, I think, half a million dollars. And now in 85. For, in 85. And now it's worth close to $5 million. So did you want to follow in your dad's footsteps, like, how he built up that flower business? Was there a business that you wanted to build up? I mean, I looked at him as a person that had a lot of freedom and he was his own boss and I knew that I didn't want to be in a cubicle and having to work for the man. Gambling really messed up my perception of having the follow through and sticking with something because I knew I could always go back and make some money. So, you know, scared of having the f to, to fail at anything, mm. you know? Mm. So... Especially like uh, around that age, your parents were getting divorced, you mentioned before, right? Yeah. And so what were the feelings that were going through you when the, when the divorce was happening? Did that sort of fuel you wanting to go gamble more? Or what it did was I definitely, do? you definitely used gambling as an escape to, you know, any kind of pain that I was, I, I was feeling. But I was really in the trenches of their, you know, divorce, trying to mediate what's going on. And my father kind of sat me down like, you know, the godfather's kid and, you know, be like, Gerard, if you don't get involved in real estate, you know, we're going to lose all our properties and lose all our business. So my mom and my father trusted me to 
basically work in the field of real estate and while their properties were getting separated, you know, and they were fighting for the properties, it was more of me being able to take care of the real estate and they both trusted me in that. Is this something you accepted like reluctantly? Like, all right, I'm going to get into the real estate game now because Pops wants me to or like, did you just dive in and, and were you like excited about this new path? It was the only path I saw at the time. So was there any like, man, I want to like kind of out achieve my pops at all? Was there any like of that thought going on? I felt that was pretty big shoes to step in. So at that time, I felt like working for him was going to be where I'm at right now. And I didn't think that far ahead. Just living in that moment take us through the next iteration of Gerard. So then uh, the gambling starts to get out of control probably around 25. Yeah. Um, Playing poker probably, you know, three to five times a week. Um, What was the moment in your gambling career where you're like, this shit's fucked up and I need help? Can you talk us through that day or that night? I was... I was actually with this girl and she said to me, listen, I think you have a gambling problem. And I was like, yeah, well, I was like, I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop myself from gambling. And she's like, well, I saw this ad on Craigslist that they were looking for to interview or film compulsive gamblers. And in return, they'll be able to get you some treatment for your gambling problem. And it ended up being, I ended up doing this calling, reaching out to these people and talking to them and they wanted to film me and discover my, you know, what I was doing with my whole gambling and they followed me and they, they, they saw me playing poker and they filmed me, you know, with my friends on, on, on Super Bowl Sunday and I was gambling like crazy and it ended up How turning out to be, on the game? I don't remember, but I know it was the, uh, the Raiders that were playing Tampa Bay and it, it turned out that that show that they wanted to do was the first intervention the big show on a and e the big show on a and e if you go back and you look at the first intervention you're in it it's not me because my mom didn't want to follow through with the intervention she said no way gerard will never go for this but if you look at the first intervention it's about a gambler so about another game, about another gambler. the actual show that came out on tv it, it would have been me but my mom didn't want to go through with it <sighs> Man, dude. But what came out of that was that I ended up months later, ended up calling back the producer, which I became friendly was with. Was his name Sam? <laughs> I don't remember okay. his name, but I became friendly with him at the time. And I said to him, Hey, listen, I have a gambling problem. I know that you were going to recommend some kind of rehabilitation centers for me if I would have went through it with the show. But he's like, you know what? There's a professional gambling therapist named Dr. Eric Geffner that's in Westwood. Maybe you should. I saw that guy. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, he was no on, on Westwood Boulevard yeah. by like Wilshire. Yeah. Kind of like a bigger yeah. dude with glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I knew something wasn't right because I wasn't able to hold a relationship and I wasn't happy. So with that said, of course, that I knew that, you know, well, I mean, let's keep it real here. The truth of the matter is it's easy to know that you have, that gambling is bad when Part of the reason 
or most of the reason my mom divorced my father was because he was gambling. Mm. So that oh. was a big part of the story was that my dad wouldn't want to, you know. You were able to process it that that was what actually happened or did your dad or your mom sit down and have that talk with you? Like, look, son, your dad has a gambling problem. Was that actually talked out? Is it ever really just talked <laughs> out? <laughs> I don't hey, know. Son, <laughs> hey, son, let me tell you something, all right? Your mom's having an affair and, hey, son, your dad's a compulsive gambler. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, it was. I was living it, man. I was okay. in it, man. I was in okay. it. It was. It was. It was. It was fights, and it was yeah. real, man. It wow. was traumatic. It was drama. It was. It was. You know. It made you stronger. Yeah, I mean, maybe stronger. It did. Yeah. For me, you know, looking back, now where I'm at, parent, you, you, I came to the realization that parents are just people too, and. It's hard to process that when you're a young boy, but as you get older, you know, you got to understand that they make mistakes. You know, I could have a kid right now or when I was gambling, I could have had a kid. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I want to take what's good from my parents and, you know, use that and whatever's bad, I want to throw away mm. and to raise my kids a completely different way than my parents raised me. What's like one gem of wisdom that you learned when you when you when you hit your thirties? Follow through is so important and sticking with something that you want to accomplish is key. Because if you keep quitting and I say this from my own experience, you know. So even like, right now this applies, you know. The biggest realization is is that you should follow through with what you start. Um, in the generations coming up now, I feel like it's all instant gratification more than ever, right? With social media and just mm -hmm. and everything. So, this is like an interesting experiment we're running. Um, and actually, that's the other that's the other impetus behind it. this show is like, you know, we've had like NBA players on, we had people from all walks of life on, right? Mm -hmm. And and the bottom line is is like, in order to like make any sort of success, like you said, dude, it takes follow through, it takes consistency. And if it comes quick, A, there's no appreciation for it, right? Right. And and B, chances are you could lose it just as easily as you got it. Yep. I think gambling is a great example of that. It's the same thing with our society now with, um, you know, when you look at relationships, you know, you don't want to let it organically grow. And no, as soon as there's a first sign of trouble, people like dart. Exactly. This this is an interesting transition, you know, you coming out of your gambling career and mm -hmm. into recovery, right? Mm -hmm. And turning your life around like that. Um walk us through that process. So, you know, you you're in this um therapist office who just treats compulsive gamblers, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. and tell us about sort of what bells and whistles are going off in your head and what your new perspective starts to look like after meeting this dude. Well, I first realized that, you know, I have a gambling problem and, you know, he told me that there's, I should go to Gamblers Anonymous. So I was introduced to Gamblers Anonymous. Um, I realized that I didn't gamble for, he, he, he taught me about, you know, setting goals and having follow through and finishing. Same thing I kind of brought up. So 
that year was the only year at the time that I did not gamble. It was the longest I ever went without gambling. And that was between 2005 and 2006. And during that time, I accomplished getting my real estate license. That's great. Yeah. So I got my real estate license at that time, and that was a big accomplishment for me. Unfortunately, I stopped going to meetings, and I ended up getting a listing in Beverly Hills on Bedford, selling a house. And after I got that money, the commission- That was a big chunk of change, right? Yeah, it was was like Mm -hmm. a $3 million deal. Yeah. And at that time, when I got the money, I went to Vegas. And I broke my, you took your big check I to took Vegas. My big check to Vegas. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's where you had one of the hardest crashes that you've had in your gambling days or, or what? It was, again, a slow deterioration of, you know, of money and, and problems. So you didn't lose your big check in a span of three days? In a span of two months. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Obviously, you know, without gambling, my life has gotten a lot better. And I haven't gambled since October 6, 2014. That's awesome, so I'm man. Coming Congratulations. Up on two years now. That's awesome. Thank you. When you're involved in drugs and gambling and, you know, any kind of addiction that you can have, it could be any addiction that you, you have. And when you're, when, when you're powerless over this addiction, you're not free. Hmm. You have no freedom. And I mean, that's true, by the way, for even something as basic as cigarette smoking. Mm-hmm. I remember when I smoked back in the day, mm-hmm. I was just, I was bedridden with the flu for like a week and I had to get myself to the store right. to buy cigs. Right. And, I, and I knew like I got no control over this thing. It has mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a real thing. And that, what a shitty feeling, right? Yeah, it's a shitty feeling. I mean, it was such a shitty feeling for me that I was driving back from the Commerce Casino when I just, before I got, you know, into the Gambling Anonymous program, you know, in October of 2014. And it was a feeling of the lowest bottom that I've ever been in. And I wanted to drive my car off the 10 freeway. That was definitely my lowest low. And it wasn't because I didn't have money in my pocket and I was broke and I couldn't return to the casino. It was because that the gambling hold I knew was so heavy that I was going to return to the casino to gamble more. So you're saying you knew that even though you felt like total shit, mm-hmm. that you were going to be back. That I was going to be and back. And that was your biggest low. And that was my biggest low. Being a slave mm. to something that I have no control over. That's just painful. So painful. Yeah. Um, so let's get back into the, 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 the timeline real quick and we're, we're going to wrap up soon. So um, you got into, you got your real estate license, you said, right? Because yeah. you were, mm-hmm. and then how long, how long after that did you start, start up this Airbnb hustle? That was recent. Um, you know, after, you got me on this whole like not gambling, you know, like like tip, like where I like <laughs> all I want to talk about is how, how much better your life becomes because my life has become. Well, let's a lot finish better. that. Yeah, let's finish that. I mean, you know, it's you know when I stopped gambling, they talk about how you want to 
take contrary actions Mm -hmm. and, you know, replace, don't resist. And that's a big thing for me. So slowly, and again, back to your instant gratification, when when, when when I stopped gambling, stuff organically started to grow, started to happen to me. It wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, they say, you know, the program, you're supposed to be very patient. I say that in all areas of your life that you should be patient. Um, with that said, I created a vacation rental business. And the only reason I started that was because I was replacing going to the casino. I needed something else mm. to fill that up, you know, fill that the, the void and the, the, the time that I was not gambling with. Exactly. With something more productive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> something very productive. Yeah. I look at it like this too. You know, when you're not gambling and you're pursuing any sort of venture, you know, you're building equity in something. And when you're gambling, you could spend thousands and thousands of hours gambling and you're not building any equity. You know, you could lose all that in five minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're actually squandering something that you can never get back, which is time. Good point. Yeah. Tell us about like the worst gambling beat that you had on sports. I was in Las Vegas and I was at the Mirage Casino and I was, I bet a 14 parlay. And it wasn't about the money that I would have won or lost, but it was about the beat. And Now, for those that don't know, a 14 parlay is where you pick four teams. They all have to win in order for you to get paid. And you get paid 10 to 1 odds. You get paid 10 to 1. So, you bet 1,000, you're walking out with... 4,000. 10,000. Oh, sorry. 10,000. Right. Right. 10,000. Mm-hmm. So, take us through it. What did you put on so it? So, it was actually a $500 14 parlay that paid 5,000. Okay. And the last leg, which means the last team to win, all three other teams already won. And the last team that I needed was the Clippers. And they were playing the Portland Trailblazers. And I had the Clippers plus 13 points. That's a huge spread. Huge spread. And J.R. Ryder was dribbling out the clock. It was a fourth quarter. I already basically what was, counted. What was the I score? Were they- I don't know the exact score, but I know that Portland was up 12. I had the Clippers plus 13 to close out. So which you were means winning your win. bet by one point. I was winning my bet by one point. And we're going to under 24 seconds now where – a team doesn't just need to score. Out the dribbling clock. out the clock. Exactly. So here I am ready to take my ticket to the window to cash it, to cash in my 5000 And G.I. Ryder's looking up at the shot clock. The Clippers basically run off to their bench. And sure enough, he does this crossover in between his legs, around his back. And as the buzzer's going off, he throws in a layup. And they end up winning by 14. And that was the worst sports bet that oh. I ever take. We're going to jump into the lightning round real quick for time's sake. Uh, but before we jump in the lightning round, you, you mentioned before we started the podcast that, that there's a uh, pretty funny story about you and P. Diddy. In fact, that's the only thing that you're Googleable. You got my World Series of Poker in there. Man, I mean, do we have to talk no, about this P. Diddy shit? Just, let's knock out the P. Diddy thing in like the 60 seconds, lightning round. What, what went down? Um, basically, I was at the Roosevelt Hotel, uh, Oscar weekend and uh he was rapping trying to talk to my girl and i wasn't having that and 
He basically uh, punched me. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Okay. I mean, if I get one more text, take that, take that, take that, <laughs> I think I'll blow my brains out. Oh, man. All right. What's been the biggest highlight for you in 2016 so far? The biggest highlight has definitely been my success at Airbnb and seeing myself transition to joining another fellowship and, and not drinking and using drugs and having a really good relationship with my girlfriend. And Is me, it the same girlfriend you had before you got clean? Yeah. That's cool. So she wrote it out. She wrote it out. She's my blessing in disguise. Shout out to Gerard's girl. Shout out to my girl, Sarah Bell. <laughs> um, okay, last question is, tell us about a favorite quote of yours. Favorite quote of mine. Um, laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep and you weep alone. It's a cold world. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for joining us today, Gerard. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, see you next time, guys. Walking on a dream